1: Welcome to another episode of Arabiyats with Linda and Suraya. I'm Linda. I'm Suraya. Today, we take on an underreported issue experienced by many Palestinian-Americans. Stories of humiliation and degradation at the hands of Israeli officials are common among Palestinians in the West Bank and Gaza. But surprisingly, or maybe not so surprisingly for some, Palestinian-Americans can also speak of incidents of inhumane treatment by Israel when trying to return to the homeland for a visit. On today's show... We would like to bring to light how for Palestinian Americans, being an American bears no privilege with Israeli authorities and that the Palestinian struggle is not isolated within the Palestinian territories alone. Joining us in the studio, we have Bay Area born and bred Palestinian Americans, Majdi Hello. and Tahrid. Hi. These are two people Linda and I know personally. We didn't have to search far and wide to find someone who can speak on this experience, which unfortunately shows how common it is. In fact, Linda herself is familiar with the humiliation dished out by Israel to Palestinian-Americans. Here's a segment she did for KPFA's Upfront. It was 6.30 a.m. on a
2: Wednesday when my sister called. She said, Baba was denied entry.
3: He says to me, the guy, Oh, so you came through Ben-Gurion Airport? I said, yeah, what's wrong with that?
2: After 21 years, my father was trying to visit the place he was born, Jerusalem.
3: He said, oh, you you cannot do that. You cannot go to Israel. I said to him, why? I have an American passport. We are coming here on a religious pilgrimage.
2: My father is a Catholic deacon. He was traveling with an American priest who got right through immigration. But my father is not just an American and a deacon. He's also a Palestinian.
3: He said, oh, no, 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 no. Uh, You cannot go to Israel. You should have gone through the LMP bridge.
2: That's the border crossing into the West Bank from Jordan. That's outside Israel.
3: I said, why the Edinburgh Bridge? I came not as a Palestinian. I came as an American citizen. He said, no, no, you are a Palestinian. Why are you trying to deny that you are a Palestinian? I said, I'm not denying anything. I am Palestinian from head to toe. My father is Palestinian, my mother is Palestinian, my brothers are Palestinians, and my sister is Palestinian, and my grandfather is an Orthodox priest, and we have been, been Palestinians all of our history. What do you mean denying? I'm denying nothing. He said, oh no, you belong with the Palestinian people, this is our Israel, and no Palestinians should come through Israel.
2: After this all happened, I emailed the account of my father's ordeal to the American embassy in Tel Aviv. After all, my father has an American passport." Here's what they wrote. Unfortunately, the U.S. government cannot assist U.S. citizens in gaining entry into Israel. The government of Israel considers travelers who hold Palestinian Authority IDs, as well as persons believed to have claim to a PA ID by virtue of ancestry, to be Palestinian residents of the West Bank and Gaza, regardless of whether they also hold U.S. citizenship. Israeli authorities consider anyone who has parents or grandparents who were born or lived in the West Bank or Gaza to have a claim to a PAID. When I read this, I hear, Even though you're a U.S. citizen, because you're of Palestinian ancestry, we have absolved ourselves from protecting you from these types of incidents. To my father in the airport, the only thing that should have mattered was his American passport.
3: He said, it doesn't matter. You, you are a Palestinian and uh, you are rude. I said, why am I rude? <laughs> or oh, you are rude and ill-mannered?" said, rude and manner, I'm just stating the facts. I'm just telling you I am an American who have been an American citizen for the last 40 years and I have lived in America for 46 years and you are telling me that I'm a Palestinian. So you disregard all of these legal facts and you go and only pinpoint the fact that I'm a Palestinian. I said, okay, that's it. You cannot, you, you cannot go to place You have to be uh. deported. I said, deported? Where? He said, well, we'll see.
2: Now, my father was not entering through Israel to prove a point. He was just excited to visit his home. He bought an iPhone right before he left. I taught him how to use Facebook so that he could share pictures. We did expect he'd have some kind of trouble getting in. Israeli officials routinely detain and interrogate anyone with a Middle Eastern-sounding name. I experience some version of this every time I travel there, regardless of which crossing I take. But neither of us thought he'd wind up in a cell for two days, without his bags, without his iPhone. And there were a lot of people in the same situation, like a Palestinian-American woman traveling with her daughter.
3: They came with their children. Their children were born in, in, in America. Okay, so they passed. They passed and they left the mom and her daughter, who was born in the West Bank. So the daughter and the woman were absolutely crying her head off. And before we left the airport, they told them, you know, uh, you have to be deported also. Said, deported where? You know, I came with my children. I haven't seen this country for the last 23 years. Finally, I made up my mind to come with my children to see. They said, no, I have to be deported. And not only you'll be deported, you'll be deported on different planes, you and your daughter. She'll go one way and you have got a ruin." And when they told that to her, she just lost it away. She cried. She was supplicating them, imploring them.
2: As for my father, he didn't know where he'd be sent.
3: At 8 o'clock, they come rushing and they say, OK, now, you go now. So I pick up my handbag because they stole my uh, big bag with all the clothes. I didn't change for four days anything, neither shirt nor underwear nor nothing. And then uh, he rushed me to the airport like he was driving like a mad dog. And he was jumping on in all, in all bumps in the street and it was causing me great pain in my hip. So we get to the airport and we, we went into the stairs that lead to the airport to the, inside the plane. And he told me, OK, you go inside the plane, and they, you will be given your passport once you are inside the plane. I said, exactly, where are you shipping me to? He said, to Bogota.
2: That's right, Bogota, as in Colombia.
3: said, Bogota? does what what Bogota to do with anything? Colombia. He, he said, oh, aren't you Carlos, said, this oh and that? God. He said, I'm not Carlos, I'm George Without What kind of passport do you have? Show me. This is not my passport. <laughs> So he knew, he realized that he made a mistake. He is accountable for it. He was afraid for his bad mark on his job. He bring me down the stairs, put me in his uh, jeep, which is like for prisoners with bars in it and everything. I'm a prisoner. I'm a criminal in their eyes, you know, just like I was treated like criminal. Drive like a mad dog causing me all this pain in my hip again and throw me back into that cell.
2: Eventually, the guard took him again to the airport runway. Originally, they told him he was going to Italy, from which he could fly to Jordan and finally get into Palestine. On the runway, the guard handed him tickets for San Francisco. He never made it back to the place he went to visit, the place he was born, Jerusalem. Piece that I produced about a week ago for the show I produce up front. Um, The host Brian really took it upon himself to help me produce this piece, which, by the way, on the original episode was followed up with an interview with the director of the U.S. Campaigns and the Occupation, Yusuf Munayir, who kind of breaks down really the over um, the framework of understanding this politically
1: within America and like how we're treated. Yeah, we can uh, post a link to that um, in the description. Yeah, you could see a link to that.
2: It was also um, also after that we had an interview with Philip Weiss, the founder of Mondo Weiss, who was the uh, publication who published my dad's account. So basically what you heard, and you could hear me in the background a lot of it, is because my dad came back on Friday and we had no idea. I get a call from my mom or my sister on Wednesday being like, Baba was denied entry, he's coming back. We just thought it was like the normal like standard denial of entry. The, the kind that I heard from about Taghrid like in the past and other Palestinians, many of them so were like, oh, man, that sucks. But like, whatever. And then he gets back and we're like, OK, I'm going to make some coffee. Let's just talk about what happened. You know, he's not happy. He's been traveling for five days, but whatever. So I put the coffee on, whatever. And he's t- he tells me this story. And I was just like blown away. And I told him I'm going to record this just in case I'm planning on writing an account. I'm going to get this published. I'm sick and tired of hearing this stuff. And I work in the media. So I want to talk about it. So, I mean, you heard basically what happened. There are a lot of other things. He also loses his bag. His bag actually arrives in the airport, and by the time he leaves the office of his interrogators, the bag has disappeared. So he didn't have his stuff. He's a diabetic, you know, so he had his bag with him. Thank God his handbag, because if he didn't have his medicine, I don't know what would have happened. Um, and by the way, the tickets, and you might have read this in the account, were the tickets that they gave him on the runway for him to go straight back to America, even after they told him he could go to Jordan through uh, via Italy, were paid for by his return tickets. So when he got back, he tried to get some money for his tickets and they had, there was no money for it. He It was gone. They used the, the tickets to fund his deportation. So that was that was actually a pretty extreme account of what happened. And uh, there are different versions of accounts of other Palestinians and other Arab Americans, but particularly Palestinians, because we know this these kinds of actions are directed towards Palestinians, regardless of whether you are U.S., English, whatever. Israelis don't want the Palestinians back in Palestine. They want to discourage them, and they do everything in their power to make our lives miserable so that we don't even dare to come back. They do it inside Palestine. They do it outside Palestine. So we wanted to bring you guys on, Tagreed and Majdi. And it was really, like as Surya said, very easy to find people very quickly who have these kinds of stories. And we want to shed more light on them. So let's start with Tagreed. Tell us kind of what happened to you and when it happened. And, and start with maybe a little bit about yourself and what village in Palestine you're from. I'm from Ramallah. My family is from Ramallah.
0: I am an American citizen born and raised here in San Francisco. Um, My episode happened in about 2007, 2008. I flew through Ben Gurion Airport with my brother, and uh, we got through the—when you get off the plane, you go through this customs lady to check your passport. She checked our passport, and there was an officer already waiting for us and sent us to that room where every other Palestinian is waiting— and uh we were interrogated for a total of nine hours um back and forth between us and the other Palestinians in the room um taking us in together, asking us, "What are you doing here? who's your mom? who's your dad? What's your grandfather's name last name? Where are you going?" Just endless questions and it was repeated for nine hours um the same questions through maybe seven different soldiers. Um, And at one point, they wanted to separate us, and my brother didn't want to be separated for fear of who knows what would happen if we never saw each other again or they took me somewhere and didn't let him know. So they agreed to let him stand at the door while they interrogated me alone to see if our stories matched pretty much. Um, after nine hours of the same repeated questions, they, uh, called us over and said that our entry has been denied. And we, we were really young at the time I was in, I was maybe 17, 18 years old. I didn't know how to react to being denied entry into my own country where I've been every other year. I go every other year to visit. That wasn't your first time.
2: No, not at all. Um, So you go into Ben Gurion, through Ben Gurion Airport before? Yes, yeah,
0: every time, and we've never had a problem. We were, for the first time, by ourselves that year. That might have had an impact on them, but um, they stamped our passport, entry denied, and my aunt and uncle were waiting 20 feet away from us, and we couldn't see them, talk to them, tell them what was going on. My aunt was on the phone with them. We were on the phone with the U.S. Embassy. Uh, They told my aunt and uncle that they were going to keep us there overnight to figure it out in the morning when they had already decided that we were going to be sent back. So they had lied to my aunt and uncle when they had already made up their minds that, no, you're not going to be allowed into this country. Um, They stamped our passports, entry denied, with a big red stamp. They uh, walked us back to the next airplane. They didn't even give us control of our passports. They gave our passports to the pilot and told the pilot, once you land in Canada, wow. that is when you can give them their passports. Wow, okay. Like, what am I going to do on yeah, the airplane that's... without my passport? Like...
2: Well, yeah, that's what they did to my dad in Italy. Yeah.
4: That also happened to me. That Okay. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So we had no contact. We couldn't contact our parents. We, They wouldn't let us use the phone. They were on the phone with my aunt and uncle the whole time. We landed in Canada. That's when we finally were able to talk to my parents and let them know what was happening. I mean, We were crying the whole way home. I mean, that's not a short flight.
3: No. We were, that's, yeah. that's a yeah, flight. Yeah. It's a and
0: long flight. And to be yeah. sent right back, we stopped in Canada and then Detroit and then... Texas something it took us we were flying for a good three days before we made it home
2: did they give you a reason for your denial no none whatsoever none whatsoever okay i want to follow up with your story but let's get majdi's in first
4: hi my name is uh majdi i was born and raised in the bay area my family and i we lived in the west bank from 1997 to 1999 and my father made us a palestinian authority west bank passport um, I was never old enough to actually get the ID card, so it was just a number, like a nine digit number that kind of affected the rest of my life. And so when I was traveling from Dubai to Tel Aviv, uh, we went through Amman and Jordan and then into Tel Aviv. And I get there and I arrive, and the lady asked me, the security um, official, she asked me if I have another passport. And uh, I usually lie to try to like deter them away from like associating me with that because West Bank Palestinians are not allowed to enter what is known as Israel. So I always deny and usually I get away with it. And it's like some number that's probably not found. But they put all the pieces together and they realized that I had a West Bank ID number. So she told me, think about it again and she walked out the room and so I knew I was like, you know, caught and whatever. And so I didn't know my fate, and then they start sending me to different rooms, room after room, and they finally send me in the back of this, like, GMC uh, van, and I'm with this Russian lady who's being denied entry also, and they told me that they will take me to a hostel, what was rather an actual, like, holding cell, 24-hour lockdown, my bags were in a different room. I called my aunt, told her the story I'm being denied. She starts laughing because it's been like six, seven hours since I first got to like the airport in Ben Gurion, and then went to the cell. So she just starts laughing because she she automatically knew that's just too long. And so I also called like the embassy and whatnot, and they were unable to help me with my situation. And the whole time, my passport, when I was like booted out, basically 30 hours later. It was with different people from, you know, the driver back to the airplane and the guys on the ground took the passport and gave it to the Jordanian pilot. Jordanian pilot's confused. He's like, "Why are you being denied? You're American. This is exactly what he told me in Arabic." And I uh, told him, "Well, whatever." He's like, "Hop on. Don't worry." And I was like, "Can I have my passport?" He's like, "No, no. We're gonna have to hold that." And you know, up up with us. Uh, so so we get back to Jordan, and he gives the passport to the people on the ground and the officials. Then they give it to the interrogation unit, and they start like asking me questions and why were you denied. And I told them, and uh, you know. They weren't confused. They kind of deal with the situation on the daily. And so then they gave to the ticket counter because, uh, you know, the Israelis had promised me that that Jordan or Amman Airport would pay for the ticket. So I was lied to. And that was like a $600 last-minute ticket purchased by the officials in in Tel Aviv. And it was just a one-way from Tel Aviv to Amman, which is like a 15-minute flight. And and you you get to Amman, Jordan, and and you don't have your passport, and you're just, like, stranded. So – it totally sucked, and now when I want to go back to Palestine, or I have to go in through the, you know, the Jordan Bridge into the West Bank, but I'm, I'm barred from Jerusalem completely, or areas like Haifa, or you know, Tel Aviv, Yaffa.
2: You when did you get that ID number?
4: So I got that in 1997, um, but it didn't matter because pre 2000 and the second intifada when Ariel Sharon walked on, you know, the Aksa Mount, and it's referred to also as the Temple Mount. Uh, he walked over there and a lot of clash, so Israel kind of just closed off Israel proper and Jerusalem to the West Bank. And so that's when it started affecting me, but they never knew I'd go in 2005 and went 2009, 2010. They never figured it out, and in 2011, I get there, and suddenly they tell me, you're a West Bank Palestinian, you're no longer American, so my Americanness was like no and void.
2: So your dad applied for you to get that. Right. Before.
4: Well, yeah. to live there, you had to do that. You wanted
2: to live there. Okay. So
4: it's also like a disadvantage, but I guess it's an advantage in the way that they can't deny you entry because you're a citizen, but they can treat you like a West Bank Palestinian, put you in jail. And I don't know how that holds up with me having the passport from America. So.
2: Right. These stories make Americans um, aware of Palestinian. the Palestinian struggle a lot more, unfortunately, because you're Americans and they can relate to you, so the response for my dad's article has been really, really um, supportive, and and people are very sorry, and they send him emails, and they're surprised, and I'm saying... Why are you surprised? This is so normal. And this is actually nothing compared to what Palestinians are actually going through.
1: I think, um, sorry to interrupt you, but I think because you emphasized, I remember reading your article, you emphasized like at the beginning that your father is a Christian mm-hmm. and he, you know what I mean? It was like kind of like a religious trip, yeah. uh, but also to visit his homeland. And I think that's what hits people is they immediately associate Arab with Muslim, mm-hmm. right? And and Muslim yeah. is the fear factor, right? right? It's like you're Muslim, you're scared, yeah. you're going to do some some bad stuff. Yeah. So... The fact that your dad is a Christian Palestinian and he was denied entry, mm-hmm. I think that like had people more upset than maybe if he was... Yeah. Palestinian Muslim.
2: Well, it first caused a lot of confusion because yeah. they're like, what's an Arab Christian? What the hell? Like that literally like <laughs> happened on Facebook several times. And, and so but actually, I'm glad that our numbers are you, you're Christian, right? Mm-hmm. And Majdi is Muslim. So anyone who thinks that this conflict is something about being Muslim versus Jewish is very wrong. Mm-hmm. And and to actually get past that um, disingenuous, disingenuous argument that Israeli propagandists constantly try to fo- shove down the throats of Americans, and have and it's been bought by Americans, needs to be dispelled immediately because the whole f- understanding of the issue can change at that point. And people could see it as a land issue, as colonialism, as apartheid, as Majdi um, mentioned.
4: You know, I, I think it just also divides families, too, whether you're outside, you're not allowed to go in or you're allowed to partially be in. Like for instance, my sister, uh, my only sister, she was born in the West Bank in Palestine when we were living there in the late '90s, and she she was born in the West Bank, so she gets a green ID card through her father, though her mother is a Jerusalem ID, blue card ID color. Um, so it's it's kind of hard when my sister wants to go to Jerusalem with my mom, she she just can't, and she has to either sneak in or ask for permission, which is very rare. So it divides like me personally, my own my own family is affected by you know Israelis racist laws and. The discriminatory policies that are similar to the past laws in South Africa.
2: Can you explain to our listeners what is blue and what is green?
4: So technically, if you're a Jerusalem resident, you have like a blue ID. Also, if you're a Palestinian living in occupied Palestine, I like to call it, or also known as Israel, uh, you, have, you have more rights than the people in the West Bank. And Gaza, that's just another story. And if you're a refugee in Lebanon or Syria or Egypt— so in in the West Bank, you have less rights, and it also pins people against each other. Like Palestinians with a blue ID, they can go into the West Bank and back into Jerusalem and Israel, whereas Palestinians in the West Bank, they can't. So imagine, like, there's a funeral, there's a marriage. People, like the families who do hold, like, uh, the blue card, they have to come into the West Bank and have them. Or if they're traveling from the West Bank into Jerusalem, from Bethlehem to Jerusalem, the driver has to ask, hey, is there any West Bank Palestinians in here? I can't take you. Because they'll be fined. I think it's uh, ten thousand shekels, which is like twenty five hundred dollars. So that, that's a problem too.
1: So the green, the green color is just West Bank, like specific. Yeah.
2: So yeah, it means that they live in the West Bank, occupied West Bank, and which they... is the internationally recognized Palestine. Right? right. It's occupied, but if there were to be two states, that would be where Palestinians would live, right. and that would be the state of Palestine. Jerusalem is divided into two, and those. Palestinians living in the east, so it's divided west and east. My dad was actually born in West Jerusalem, originally in 1945, and he was kicked out by the Israelis and they were pushed into um, the West Bank, into Ramallah and other places, Nablus. So, first of all, to establish that there were Palestinians living there before Israelis and now it's called the Jewish side. So, it's actually very complicated, but the point is that Palestinians living in East Jerusalem, even though it's still considered occupied, Israelis... Just consider all of Jerusalem, east or west, part of their state of Israel. And they want the world to recognize it as the capital of Israel. But the world doesn't recognize it. They recognize Tel Aviv as their capital. So <laughs> Palestinians living in the east um, of Jerusalem have to go and visit their families in Ramallah. They, the Ramallah people cannot Can't go to it. East right, Jerusalem. Yeah. Even though they're literally like 20 minutes away.
4: Yeah. There's special situations like they yeah. give for people who are 50 years old and right. above. But it's very Or if there's rare.
2: like occasions or something. But even then, it's not reliable. Like if you
4: get a medical permission yeah. for like 12 hours to go right. see your like family too yeah, yeah my
2: my
0: grandparents go back to ramallah every six months and they are not allowed out of ramallah yeah they can't yep. travel
4: well there's at least twenty thousand americans living in ramallah that's besides the west bank like mm-hmm. myself who have like this dominant passport but are unable to go to jerusalem which is literally like saying oh i'm gonna go from berkeley to oakland you know it's right. literally a and
1: for those who don't know the bay area that's like a 10 minute Right. Maybe five Five. if you look
4: at the border Right. Depending on traffic. (laughs)
2: Um, I actually haven't really fully heard a story Uh, the account of other Palestinians going through this like in detail but both of you had so many similarities to my father's story like my dad was in a holding cell he described the same way. A lot of foreigners even an English um, human rights worker who probably pissed off the Israelis going to human rights in the West Bank. Dirty didn't have access to his phone I thought that my dad was unique in the whole having his passport held but I guess that's just their standard Mm -hmm. policy the problem is that there really doesn't seem to be a standard policy because as you guys said you have traveled there many times and all of a sudden when day they just decide they don't want to let you through that day i mean do you think there's any kind of logic to how they decide again what do you it think?
4: depends if you've been denied because of your activism or some other reason then that's probably why like noam chomsky or some other Palestinian. well yeah there's those. right but for me it was just because i have a west bank id number and they don't want me to be an american so i can go into jerusalem you know the less palestinians the better to them they just mm-hmm. want to ethnically cleanse the city.
2: Right. You got the ID card and then that's when you had problems. No,
4: so I got the ID card in 97, but right. back then it didn't matter. and They never knew when okay, i go in. Okay, so and, when they changed the law. Yeah, the following years. and They so. followed
2: because of the Intifada.
4: Right. right, exactly.
2: Okay, and for those listening, the second Intifada was the, the Intifada that was so famous in the American headlines with suicide bombings and basically Israel decided to like shut down Israel proper, what is it acknowledged as Israel today, to Palestinians. Whereas, before that, before the Intifada in 2000, um, Palestinians were able to work in Israel. There was actually a lot of free movement between the two areas. So this is where we come to today. So I was going to ask you, so did you guys do anything once you got back? Did you tell any media outlets? Did you feel like what What did you do? How did you act? Um, I,
0: I didn't. My aunt was still working with the U.S. Embassy from there. Um, but no, i didn't want my next time that I go to be jeopardized by them knowing my story or having my story get out. Um, I had forgot to mention that while we were escorted back onto the airplane, um, he one of the soldiers was like, oh, by the way, you're banned for 10 years. Right. Wow. Yeah. wow. yeah. Um, I, I forgot it. to mention that. So,
1: so... How long ago was this again? Rudy? 2007. Okay. So you have two more years.
0: Um, actually, I went back last summer.
1: Oh, okay. So um, tell us about that. I went yeah. back
0: last summer Um, with my aunt. Um, We got to the airport. Is I, your aunt a U.S. citizen? She is a U.S. citizen. No, she was born back home. I'm sorry. But okay. she doesn't have an OEA. I don't remember. Okay. But they let her. They didn't question her at all but she stuck by my side just in case god forbid they did the same thing to me we didn't want to separate or at least if she got in she can tell my aunt and uncle who were waiting there again for me um they took me again to the room at this point the room was overcrowded with more foreigners a lot of russians um, there were americans it was a lot more diverse in there i think every race besides a jewish person was in there um They questioned me. He asked me, when was the last time you were here? And I was honest with him, and I told him, 2007. And he said, did you get in? I said, no. He said, why not? And I couldn't lie about it at this point because he already knew the answer. It's on their computer. They have everything on there. And I told him, I was young, and I misunderstood your questions, and it was a miscommunication, and he was quiet about it and then uh, another soldier questioned me a few minutes later asked me the same questions and he gave the same story and about two hours later um, they finally
2: gave me my visa and let me in. So what was the reason when he asked you why weren't you let in the first time what did you, you just you told him that it was? A I, I
0: said uh, that's what I said I said I was young and I might have misunderstood your questioning there might have been a miscommunication with whoever was questioning me, and he he was like, okay. And then he gave me to another soldier to see if I would say the same thing, mm-hmm. and I did. And um, the last soldier asked me again, and he was like, okay, stamped my thing and let me go in. So they didn't say anything about their 10-year ban? No, no, because it wasn't in my passport. Yeah, It was kind of just a verbal
2: threat and you don't think they recorded it and like they're well clearly they didn't, I was I, I, w-
0: I was worried that they were that yeah. I've since that time they they won I feel like they won over me because I've got that feeling where I never wanted to go back exactly yeah. they they gave me that feeling which is what they want and I, <laughs> I didn't want to go back although I missed it so much like that's my home that's where my family is I did not want to go through that humiliation like ever again um but we decided to it's been long enough, eight years, um, decided to give it another shot, and uh, after two hours of questioning, which was better than the nine the first time, uh, they they let me in. and I cannot tell you the feeling of sense of relief that came over me when they handed me my passport back. It was It was very emotional, It was right. very emotional.
2: yeah
0: when I got to my aunt and uncle, it was
2: just a happy emotional crying fest. Wow, that's you know. but it just exemplifies how random all this is. Yeah, it's it's like a policy, but it's not. Like I don't, I think it all has to do with the mood of the soldiers. I'm not really sure. Um, what what did you do, Majdi, when you got back?
4: You know, I didn't. I didn't really do much. I guess I, I, held this like nihilistic view of just being depressed or sad. Or it's not an easy feeling to like juggle being denied from your homeland. <laughs> Or, like, all my uncles and aunts live in Jerusalem. My mom's in Jerusalem right now as we speak. And I couldn't even go there now. And I don't know how to explain that because I kind of grew up there and, like, I have a lot of friends and family. I went to school there. And uh, so I didn't do much. I mean, I didn't go to the media outlet. Uh, I wasn't scared. or But there is, like, some fear of reprimand, uh, reprimanding individuals who do speak out against Israel, and that's quite known. So, no, I, I kind of just wrote about it for myself to kind of, like, vent. And I told a lot of my friends or classmates in university that it definitely made me feel better to like get the word out, but uh yeah, I mean, even just talking about this, like who knows the next time you're at at the border, and Israelis are like, "Oh, so you know they pull out this podcast because <laughs> they do stuff like that I've had friends with you know they show me your email and Facebook, and if you don't want to, well, guess mm-hmm. what you're just not entering israel, and it's insane, like the infringement of our privacy is just yeah. not there. Huh.
2: And when they say you're not entering Israel, I mean, you're not entering Palestine. That's right. what people need to understand. They're right. not, it's not a security thing. It's that you can't go into your homeland. You can't go into your home cities or right. anything. So the problem is that Israel controls all the borders and we have no autonomy as Palestinian people. Yeah. Another point.
1: Well, this is the tactic. I mean, this is if you're you have to weaken, you have to weaken the people right yeah. cuz that's what's pissing Pal- not what's pissing Israelis off is that Palestinians have been resisting for so long anything you throw at Palestinians they like throw it right back at you you know what i mean you don't give us weapons we're going to throw stones like you can't you know, you're going to, like, mm-hmm. come settle in our territories. We're going to ban the soda factory that you built there. Mm-hmm. You know, we're going to, like, boycott right. it. And ex- right. ex- in, in yeah. the diaspora, like, that's what pisses them off, especially, mm-hmm. is yeah. that the Palestinian diaspora. It's just, like, they want you to forget that you're Palestinian. Right. You're American. Okay. Just be American. Forget that you're but Palestinian. But you know what they
2: keep doing? All they're doing is making us more angry and re- reaffirming right. our identity exactly. more than ever. So I I don't know if the Israelis are actually as, like, smart as they... No, they're not. I don't they're under- not. I really don't because know. Because,
1: you know, it's, like, it's warfare tactics, and they try to psych- like psychologically break you down when mm-hmm. you're imprisoned, right. you know, but they can't do anything when you're out, you know, and you're, like, with your people, and that's why the division of the West Bank and Gaza, you mm-hmm. know, that's why you can't go into Jerusalem, that's why it's, like, dividing families apart, because they think that's how they're going to do it. And you know? they do, you know, they destroy the society, no, of course. but they
2: also it yeah but if uh,
1: yeah the more you like piss people off Mm -hmm. the more likely they're gonna like want to come together and Mm -hmm. resist you know like being not i'm not a palestinian i'm syrian and i'm lebanese and i grew up in lebanon and i got to go to syria and there were border issues because syria has issues when like i just used to go with my mom and that was like the most struggle i had which is not a big deal compared you know but i never had those issues i never felt like Like rah, rah, Lebanon, rah, rah, Syria, because I was there all the time. Um, And I think only recently because of what's going on in Syria that a lot of people I know who are Syrian, who maybe didn't visit a lot or didn't, you know, grew up here are like super attached to their Syrian identity now because of what's happening, because they can't go there because, you know, so that, yeah, of course, the more Israel puts up barriers, the more people are going to stick to being Palestinian and like never forget. Right. Mm -hmm. That's the that's the motto. So this experience, being Palestinian Americans, having the American passport, going, trying to get in and not being able to, even though you're armed with your American passport, did that make you question your Americanness at all? Did it make you feel like, well, if I can't use my American passport, then what the hell is the point?
4: It definitely hit me right away, but I feel like was really enhanced when I was in the West Bank. Maybe I was there in March, and I was there twice before. After I was denied and jailed, and you know, I have this like green ID card, and, I, and I'm supposed to be American with all these rights and privileges, and like the military laws actually applied on me and my brothers, and my dad, and my sister, whereas uh, the civil laws applied on my mom because you know Israel's in charge of her, but the Israeli military is in charge of us. So you have two different like colored, two tiered system of you know ID cards. And you have two sets of laws being applied to two different populations literally living as neighbors, and it's incredible. That's when you really realize, like, I am not American, there at least. I mean, everywhere Mm -hmm. else I go, you know, there's nothing wrong, like you were saying, of having two identities, a hyphenated identity. And I'm very proud Palestinian. I'm very proud American. But uh, you definitely don't feel American there if you hold the West Bank ID card or if you're just denied or you're mistreated. And I feel like all Palestinians are all people of... Arab or Muslim descent or whatever scares the Israelis like they can just you know mess with you
0: yeah I I, um I was like what the hell like what is this good for if I can't get into my own home country and especially not having the U.S. embassy do anything about it like oh like we can't help you Mm -hmm. what are you what am I an American for like what are you good for where's my backup But they didn't they just look right past that.
2: I met Palestinian and that's it. What happened with me is I knew I wasn't getting any answers right. and or yeah. any kind of support. Yeah. But for the record, for my my story and for the American uh, listener or reader, I wanted to establish how the U.S. responds to you when you have your 70-year-old father who is a diabetic and a deacon and Christian or whatever, it doesn't matter, when they put him in a cell and you don't know where he is and you have no responsibility. You feel no sense of responsibility yeah. to him as a U.S. citizen. They had no response to us except for that here you should have checked the State Department website where we specifically say as I read in my kind of intro in the piece that I uh, wrote but basically they're saying that if you have any kind of connection to being Palestinian whether you're you were born in Palestine or even if you're just of Palestinian ancestry My dad told them, I have no Palestinian ID card. I had no Palestinian Authority ID like the one that you have. Um, And that should have meant something to them. But it didn't because he had a claim to one. So basically, if you have a claim to one, they put you in the same category. They just say this probably because they want to have some sort of legal justification. But they do the same thing to people who have no claim to it at the same time. Yeah, I have nothing. No Palestinian password. No You are just born in America.
0: Born here. Just one
2: U.S. passport in. That's it. So, is meaningless nothing. to you because Absolutely. you're Palestinian? So what would you have expected from the U.S. or what, how do you respond to the U.S.'s um, pretend like there is someone from the U.S. government here? What, do you, what would you say to them?
4: You know, I, w- I would I would I would tell them that I'm not surprised uh, due to like the very nifty U.S. and Israeli relationship mm-hmm. and AIPAC and you know on Capitol Hill with the pressure. It's like if it was any other country and this happened to like someone who's French or British or whatever. I'm sure they would have done something about it, but, like, the guys at the embassy in Tel Aviv, they just told me straight up, like, we can't help you. And I kind of knew that. It wasn't like, you know, my name is Mike. I'm your average American, and I'm going there. Like, that's what burns so much, knowing that my professor, my boss, or my friend who who really don't have any, like, connection to Israel or Palestine or they're not Jewish or they're not this or they're not Arab – uh, there are a lot to go and I can't. And so when they take pictures in Jerusalem, it really burns my heart. Like, I am so happy for them that they're able to visit and see, like, the messed up situation and what Israel is doing. At the same time, it's kind of like bitterness. It's like, oh, I'm not allowed to do that. And, like, I, you know, my whole family is there, like hundreds of people. So, I mean, I, w- I wouldn't tell him much because I know what he's going to say. He'd sell some yeah. rhetoric or some sort of semantics and apologetic or, I don't know, It's just some vague language.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't expect much either. Like, what are they going to do, get them in trouble? They're best friends. There's, They're not going to do anything. There's nothing they can't do. I wouldn't expect it.
1: I mean, this is further proof that being an American citizen is only, like, citizenship really is only beneficial for a part of the American you know public, com- public yeah. Yeah. Populous, yeah. yeah i mean there's a i mean even within america itself there are a lot of people who you know are facing a lot of inhumane yeah, like situations violence. and think about like the immigrant community right like mm-hmm. any any latinos who come like who come illegally quote unquote right and they have children here they get separated from their families when mm-hmm. they get caught so the kids stay here by themselves when their parents get like deported back mm-hmm. home you know there's just like how could you do that as like a If you think of yourself as a human, how could you possibly do that? Well, and that's dehumanization.
2: So what I would say is Palestinians are not viewed as human beings. We are dehumanized by the American government, by the American media. Our stories are not worthy of being on the mainstream and not worthy of being heard. Because when these things happen, the things that are just like a percent of what happens to Palestinians – People are in outrage, an outrage and an uproar. And when it comes to Palestinians, they they don't see them as human beings. Like, they don't have feelings. They don't understand what it means to say that your family is in Palestine and you can't go see them. Like, they they their families, they have access to them. They can see them. They don't feel that burn, that right. bitterness.
4: You know, I was going to add to that. Um, to, when I really did feel American was when, like, you know, the lady was telling me you're being denied entry and— I don't know if she was of Russian descent or whatnot or whatever. And she told me, you're not, you're not allowed to enter. And I'm like, like I, I pay taxes for Israel. Like, we give right. $4 billion mm-hmm. dollars in aid packages from yeah. the U.S. to Israel. Like, yeah. I'm an American paying, you know, right. or I'm an American taxpayer, you know. My money goes to fund and kind of dehumanize my people. Yep. which is like a paradox there. And Israel yep. says they're a democracy and whatnot, but only really if you're Jewish, and that applies to the Jewish population. Right. And even then, there's like different levels. If you're a Mizrahi, a Middle Eastern Jew, or if you're Ashkenazi white Jew with privilege, and kind of ties into the stuff here in the United States. And...
2: Did you have anything to add to the leads? you it guys want
0: to... I just totally agree with the fact that you were saying that, like, our lives don't matter. Right. It's just... So frustrating to see if something happens to the Israeli side on our media. The whole world is in uproar, <laughs> and this 18-month-old baby that right. was burned alive yep. two weeks ago—nothing. Nothing. Less the coverage. The world is yeah. silent. Less Not cover- even. Less we coverage even get than
4: coverage? Cecil the,
1: the lion. Yeah, the lion. Yeah. yeah, Right. Yeah. It's just so right. yeah. frustrating
0: to be Palestinian sometimes, but you know, I couldn't be more proud.
4: I just want to say it's a paradox when they say, oh, you're of Palestinian descent or you had some sort of tie to that. You're not allowed to enter. And that's how they kind of scold you, whereas sometimes they'll tell you there's no such thing as Palestine. That's funny. That's so true. So it's like (laughs) whenever it's convenient for them, they dip and dab here. Right, right. Yeah. They're always trying to corner you. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Thank you guys for coming in again, Majdi and Tahrid. As per their request, I didn't use their last names because... Israel is uh, spies on you and everything that you do. So hopefully they won't find out about this.
2: Yeah, there, we don't know if Israel spies on everybody, but th- there are fears and there's evidence of, you know, if your story comes out, you could be further penalized or treated. F- Badly by the Israelis, not allowed entry again. So, because it's so random, we we wish we could have had their names. These are upstanding citizens of America. They work in companies and have businesses that are known to many of the Bay Area residents, and it's someone you might know. And so, for this to happen to a fellow American should open people's eyes. Yeah, and and I hope this helps. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you for for speaking
1: with us. Thank you for listening to Arabiyat with Linda and Surya. Our theme song's been by Mokata, track called Ahyat. You can follow him on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash B-O-I-K-U-T-T. And if you'd like to reach us, you can email us at arabiyat.podcast at gmail.com. That's A-R-A-B-I-Y-A-A-T dot podcast at gmail.com. Please let us know if you have any questions, concerns, or if you have suggestions for shows you'd like us to do.
5: If you please will sit down with me, will you have to drink a gas? With me. with me, you sweetheart, go to room. With me, from your house, come to house you have a I'm <laughs>